0: Now, I'm really excited about uh, studying this letter on Sunday nights. It is a marvelous uh, letter in God's uh, word. The letter describes a local church that is real. Real because the lives of the people in that church have been thoroughly transformed by the gospel. Why are we studying this letter? For three reasons. Number one, and number one underscore to encourage us to encourage us because this letter describes what is happening in the life of Chalmers. Secondly, to affirm us that the priorities in Chamers are the right priorities, to teach the simple gospel from the Word of God and to pray, and to inspire us that we do so more and more, to encourage, to affirm, and to inspire question, is it right for us to be encouraged and affirmed as well as inspired? Yes, it is right when we come to a portion of Scripture where that is the emphasis, and if it is true. There are times and seasons in a church when that encouragement is much needed as a blessing, as a benediction from God to our souls. And I hope and pray we will be encouraged, affirmed and uh, inspired. Now, Paul and Silvanus or Silas had planted the church in Thessalonica. These events are recorded in Acts chapter 17. And after less than a month in the town, many believed, many responded to the gospel, but many also opposed the proclamation of the gospel with such an intensity that Paul and Silas were forced to leave the city to leave the fledgling church, barely a month old. What would become of the new church? After more than a year, Paul sent his trusted companion Timothy to Thessalonica for news of the church. And Timothy finds a living church, a church that is alive and well. He reports back to Paul, and Paul writes... This letter. There are three things I want us to see in these first ten verses. What they say to us about God, second, the gospel, and third, the impact of the gospel. Think of the logic. Paul focuses our minds on God, then God's gospel, and then the impact of the gospel. Firstly, Uh, what Paul says about God. Now, the first thing Paul says after the conventional uh, greeting is verse 2. Read that with me. He writes, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Paul, and he embraces Silas and Timothy in what he writes, thanks God for them. He thanks God for what has happened in the lives of these Christians, in the life Of this church. Now, Paul's thanksgiving to God for them reveals three things about him. It reveals three things about Paul the Apostle's heart. Number one, that he loves them, that he loves them, all of them. Number two, that he rejoices in the impact of the gospel in their lives. When Paul sees the evidences of grace and spiritual fruit, he rejoices. And thirdly, Paul prays with thanks to God for them because Paul knows that it's God who has brought about the transformation in their lives through his gospel. Paul knows that what has happened is supernatural. And that's why he is always and constantly, that is the language he uses, praying for them. He knows it is God's work. Now, more than any other church, that is perhaps clear because Paul had only been there for three or four weeks. They'd been left on their own. And yet Timothy comes and reports back that the church is alive and well. God has been at work. I find it a very moving comment. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. I want to take you inside one of our elders' meetings, a typical elders' meeting. And this is increasingly the case in our elders' meetings now. I want you to know that you are all prayed for with thanks to God for what is happening in your lives. I want you to know that your small group leaders pray for you with thanks to God for what is happening in your lives. I want you to know that because it's true that you are prayed for. And in praying for you, and we forget this, whether as elders or small group leaders or Sunday club leaders or whatever, we forget this, and prayer reminds us of it, that it's God who is at work in our lives. It's God who is holding the church together. It is God who protected the church in Thessalonica when everything was against it. It is God, as we were reminded in Psalm 93 at Christmas, who is sovereign and who is steadily attending to the care of this church and other churches during this difficult time. We thank God that he is at work in people's lives. Now, let's consider, secondly, the gospel. We're going to get to the implications or the impact of the gospel in a minute. But firstly, let's consider the gospel. What is the gospel that makes a real impact in the life of a local church? Now, the key verse is verse 4. Read that with me. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because, now notice, underscore, highlight the word, our gospel. Our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. What is the gospel? What is the gospel of God that impacts people in the life of a local church? It is the Apostles' Gospel. That's what Paul means by our gospel. The Apostles' Gospel. The gospel given to the Apostles by the Lord Jesus Christ. Their gospel, the apostles' gospel, is Jesus' gospel. It is the only true gospel. It is the only gospel that has been given by the Lord Jesus Christ to his apostles and then to the church and to us. Now, what is it? Their gospel. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 17, which describes how the church in Thessalonica began. Acts chapter 17 and verse 1. Now, when they, Paul and Silas, had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And saying, this Christ whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. This Christ, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. That's the Apostles' Gospel, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, God's chosen and anointed King. And as the Messiah, Jesus, must suffer, he must die then rise from the dead. That is the gospel. Jesus is the Christ, and the Christ must suffer and rise from the dead. That is the gospel given by the risen and ascended Jesus to the apostles to proclaim. The apostles' gospel, our gospel, Paul says, is the only true gospel This is the gospel that changes lives. This is the only gospel that changes lives. When we refer in Chalmers to the simple biblical gospel as a core conviction, this is what we mean. And I pray God that we will always mean this in the years, the decades and beyond that are ahead. What we mean Is the Apostles' Gospel, Jesus' Gospel, Christ and Him crucified. And we must hold one another accountable to this core conviction. The Gospel of God is the Apostles' Gospel, Christ and Him crucified. Moreover, the Gospel is spoken. Paul says, our gospel came to you in word. The gospel is something that is spoken or taught The gospel comes with words. Acts 17 describes how Paul proclaimed the gospel by reasoning with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving. And likewise, we proclaim the gospel from the Bible. That's exactly what I'm doing, reasoning from the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, reasoning, explaining, proving, exhorting. What? That Jesus is the Christ crucified and risen. That's why, along with a simple biblical gospel, teaching the Bible is a core conviction. It is how the gospel is proclaimed. It is how the gospel comes to people's hearts and lives. And again, this is of such vital importance. In church life, in church leadership at the moment, there are so many things to attend to. So many Zoom calls, so many Zoom meetings I could go to on how to survive the coronavirus pandemic, how to lead the church through it, so on and so forth. Constant, constant changes, week in, week out, demanding our attention. But we must not neglect to rest in the sovereign care of God. And we must not neglect to attend what Jesus says is the most important thing. Speaking, teaching the word of God and praying, for thus we will bring the gospel to bear in our lives with all of its blessing. Not least the blessed assurance in uncertain times. Speaking, teaching the word of God, we will bring the gospel to bear in our lives. And in prayer, we will bear one another to God. We must always attend to these priorities. In a crisis time, we must be especially vigilant to the dangers of being distracted by all manner of other things. So what is the gospel? It is the apostles gospel and it is spoken. Now, what happens when you take the apostle's gospel, the content of which is Christ and him crucified, spoken from the word of God? What happens when you take these two things together? Well, read with me again verse 5. Our gospel came to you The apostles' gospel spoken, not only, not just in words, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The gospel is not words alone, but words in the power of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. In other words, speaking the apostles' gospel in words is attended by the supernatural power of God that convicts people that changes people and the converting power of the Holy Spirit, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit only attends this gospel. So do not ever change that gospel for it will lose its power. Now let me flip the coin and say that positively because this is a positive letter. Proclaim that gospel and expect supernatural power to attend it, supernatural power, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to bear it in people's lives. Proclaim that gospel on a Sunday and expect that people's lives will be steadied and settled and assurance will flood their hearts and minds. Proclaim that gospel on a Tuesday night or a Thursday night from Romans and expect the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Let me pause here and point out what the verse does not say. It does not say our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in actions or deeds. And that is important. It is words plus the convicting power of the Holy Spirit It is not words plus works or deeds or actions. Words, deeds, and actions are the consequence of the gospel. They are the working of the gospel in the life of Christians, in the life of a church, but they are not the gospel. And that is so, so important. And it's not splitting hairs. It matters a great deal. Why does it matter? Here are two reasons. Number one, because the purpose of the gospel Christ and Him crucified is to save people from the wrath to come. The gospel saves us from eternal wrath. What saves us from eternal wrath? Christ and Him crucified. Not Christ and Him crucified and anything else. And so the gospel is Christ and Him crucified. Not what we do not how we live. And second, it is only when a clear gospel is proclaimed. It is only when a clear gospel is spoken. It is only in a church where the Bible is taught faithfully, with heart and commitment, that a church is radically changed. It is the proclamation of a clear gospel that leads to the radical action There is no church in the New Testament that surpasses the church in Thessalonica for good works, the practical outworking of the gospel. But that happened because of the gospel. The good works are not the gospel, they are what the gospel produces. The clearer the gospel is proclaimed, the more radical the impact of the gospel in the actions that flow uh, from it. Now, I am happy to say and to testify that this is absolutely true. The practical care for one another that is so important in the church family at the moment and that is so evident in the church family at the moment is because of God and the gospel. You know, it is not for nothing that across the country, when churches were able to meet in person, that very few did so. It would be too simplistic to say that it was only the resource-rich churches that could do so. The truth was that, and there are many exceptions for many reasons, but over the peace, the churches that were able to do so were churches where the gospel of God was proclaimed. The clearer the gospel proclaimed, the more radical the consequences. You see how important it is that we understand what the true gospel is. The apostles' gospel. The gospel God has given us The gospel that is attended by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Proclaim the gospel, and the power of God is at work. Change the gospel and empty it of its power. Now, let's consider, in the time we have left, the impact of the gospel. The logic so far, Paul has focused our attention on God. It's God who is at work in the life of this church. And it's God's gospel that has changed them. What is God's gospel? It is the apostles' gospel spoken, the apostles' gospel spoken, fused together to give supernatural power. Now, what's the impact of the gospel in the life of a local church? Well, we can see what happened in the church in Thessalonica. And we can see two things. We can see, first of all, the impact of the gospel in Thessalonica as a local church. The impact of the gospel in Thessalonica as a local church in two ways. Firstly, conversions. What impact did the gospel have on people? Read with me verses 9 and 10. Johnny's read them and prayed them, so they are... Uh, definitely a take-home for us uh, tonight. For they themselves report concerning the kind of reception we had among you and how you, and these are wonderful words, this is conversion. This is the impact of the gospel in the life of a local church turned to God from idols To serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is what the gospel in the convicting power of the Holy Spirit does in someone's life. Their life is turned around. They are converted. Before they were converted, there were other priorities in their life. We can testify to that. Other things we worship, other things that pivot around a four-letter word, Self. But now, through the power of the gospel of God, we serve the living and true God. Life's now devoted to selfless worship and service of God, the God who has rescued and delivered us from the wrath to come. The gospel delivers us from the wrath to come. The gospel turns our life around to serve the living and true God. And the Christian is liberated from living for this world. The Christian is liberated. Just as I preached that phrase, God just nudged my heart and said, you really are liberated from living for this world. Our security is in heaven in eternity, not in worldly or earthly things. That's what the gospel does in the life of a local church. It converts people. It completely reorientates their thinking. It is not a makeover or a lifestyle change it is a complete turn around. And is that not exactly what has happened in our lives? Is that not true? It is true. You know, it's such an encouragement when the Bible describes how it is. Can I encourage you, many of you are living to serve God. Many of you are living in light of eternity. Many of you have given up a great deal, humanly speaking, but you do so with joy. Because you love God. Many of you are living radically selfless lives. Why and how? Because Jesus' gospel given to the apostles has come to you not only in words, but in the power and in the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's why you live the way you do. You have been captivated by Christ, delivered from the wrath to come, Liberated from self to selfless service. And in it all, you know, a deep and abiding joy, the joy of the Holy Spirit, verse 8. But with much afflictions. Now that's what comes with the gospel too. Deep joy, abiding joy, wonderful joy, but much afflictions, the costs, the costs of living in light of eternity, the costs of facing and being faced by opposition and rejection. And all over the church family, and many of you have been in my mind as I have written this sermon, you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The gospel converts people in the life of a local church and also in the life of a local church. The gospel creates transformed Christian community. That's what Paul is referring to in verses 2 and 3. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. These are great phrases. That is what Paul saw in his short time with them. That is what Timothy reported back to him. That is what you should see in the life of a local church impacted by the gospel, works of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. Is that what we see? Is that really what we see in the life of Chalmers? Well, you know, on many, many occasions I would be cautious, and you understand why, of saying yes, but on this occasion when this building is empty and you are in your homes and we are up against it and churches are up against it all over the world, I want to say to you that is exactly what you see. It's what I see. The work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. I'm not going to try and define all that is meant by these phrases, let me just touch on a couple of things, the work of faith all that goes on in a church normally as people serve using the gifts God has given them but in these exceptional times so many have stepped forward gladly and willingly to ensure church can happen week by week streaming services sorting out gremlins when they go wrong transitioning, planning between different levels of lockdown, cleaning the buildings, recording music, working in the background on building and development plans. All of these things and many, many more are the work of faith. People don't do these things. They do not go the extra mile because they have to. They do them because they want to. They do them because of faith. It is far, far too simplistic to say these things happen because there are gifted people to do them. That is true to an extent. But these things happen because people's lives have been changed by the gospel of God. Labor of love in the context of the letter, it seems that Paul means by labor of love is I think simply the selfless devoted love for one another that the gospel produces in believers. In chapter two, Paul describes his love for them in a very moving way. This is the apostle Paul, the man who wrote Romans, that great and wonderful defense of the gospel. Paul writes chapter two, 1 Thessalonians verse seven, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children So being affectionately desirous of you. Isn't that powerful language? Being affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. That is the labor of love. That's the example the great apostle Paul uses to describe his ministry among them. It is the language of family love. It is not just love for one another. It is a labor of love. It is a mum to their child. Friday afternoon, I was at the pastoral ministry group meeting, and what I heard being described by those in that group was simply a labor of love, as people across the church family are loved and cared for. That does not happen because of a system. It has not happened because of good organization, all of which is important. It happens because the gospel of God has changed people's lives and made them love one another supernaturally. Paul's language really does make us think is this true of us in Chalmers? being affectionately desirous of one another. We were ready to share with each other not only the gospel of God, but our own selves. Because we had become very dear to one another. That's church family language. And before God, who really does know our hearts, I do not think it is alien, that kind of language, and the hearts that it describes from the church family here. And then the steadfastness of hope, well, the hope we have as Christians is the sure and certain hope of heaven of eternity. It is not a stoical hope that grins and bears the travails of life in this world, nor is it a foolhardiness. It is a steadiness a steadfastness that lives with heaven and eternity in view i asked somebody very close to me who is my wife this week who has a real confidence in the face of issues like death what is it because i would like it i don't have it i do in my head But I'm fearful in my heart. What's the answer? It's a steadfastness of hope, steadiness, a quiet trust in God. As we go to our beds tonight, we are immortal. Until God determines otherwise. And is it not in difficult times that we draw on the rich resources like steadfastness of hope? That's what the gospel does in the life of a local church. Conversion and transformation. And as we finish... What do we also see in terms of the impact of the gospel in this church in Thessalonica? Well, the gospel impacts that local church such that it begins to serve the wider church. That's the final dimension of the impact of the gospel Paul refers to in these verses. This local church in Thessalonica, barely a year old, serving the wider church, Verse seven, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of God sounded forth from you, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You know, there is a wrong kind of reputation and there are dangers of churches seeking a reputation but if a local church has a reputation for how people have been converted, how their lives have been changed, how they are committed to the apostles' gospel for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope, if that is that church's reputation, and it spills over and it blesses others, then praise God for that You know, there are risks all the time when you're on that kind of territory. But is the Christian life, is an active living church not constantly in a position of risk? It's very, very important, and I think Rog mentioned this in his talk this morning, that if we come up with a vision called 2020 to 30 vision or whatever, we need to see the aspects of that vision reflected in the Word of God. And here we see in the church in Thessalonica a church that is a local church and a church that is serving the wider church. The commitment to serve the wider church is right, we trust, but it must always be for the right reasons. Davi and Emma leaving Chalmers and UCCF is an illustration of a right reason. We don't want them to go. For much of the last two months, we didn't, they didn't want to go. We love them and are blessed by their ministry. And there is a big part of them that still doesn't want to go, and us. But all of us know it is the right thing for the gospel. And so we send them with joy in our hearts and with our love. Now, there is an insight into the life of a local church in Thessalonica where God is at work through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Apostles' gospel spoken and attended by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And what's the impact? A local church where people are converted. And where people's lives are transformed and there is a labor of love and a work of faith and a steadfastness of hope all around, these are the marks of its small groups. And a local church that gladly serves the wider church. So let's never, ever, ever change the gospel. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the encouragement of this letter. May indeed it be an encouragement and an inspiration to us over these coming weeks and months. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful way the Apostle Paul exhorts and then speaks about being affectionately desirous of them. Thank you that what is written in this letter is not different or alien to what is happening in the life of Chammers. And we pray it will happen more and more and more. For Jesus' sake. Amen.